Hearing voices? I'm hearing voices. You're listening to Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. I have missed my visits with this man. It has been a while, and this morning on Hearing Voices, we circle back around with Jim McFarlane, the word grouch on Twitter, never grouchy in person. How are you? Uh, Better now to hear the voice of Scott Watson, or as we call him affectionately, Scott Watson. Good to see you. How are you? I'm good. It's been a crazy summer for you. It has been a wild summer in many ways, mostly due to physical things. Uh, My wife, Karen, known to all on social media as the BWE, an abbreviation for best wife ever, um, has been diagnosed with positional vertigo and as a result has slipped and fallen twice in about a a two or three day period and uh, broke our elbow and broke a bone in her tailbone. and, uh, And so I have been assigned the duties of full-time caregiver, chauffeur, medical advisor, and all-around good friend. And I don't do it well, Scott. I got to admit, it's not a strong suit of mine. I've I've learned that prayer helps in this instance, Uh, but she's getting better every day, uh, getting uh, a little feistier, which is a good sign for her. And I expect that as the healing process continues, she should be up and around at full strength in about a month or so. One of the things that I'm sure you've learned is some empathy, empathy rather, for folks that have spouses that develop chronic problems or Alzheimer's. That's been a huge transition for you, I would imagine. Well, my brother, my older brother, Lonnie, has had a heart condition for many years. In fact, he's on a heart monitor that that really keeps his heart pumping. And he's now been diagnosed with several forms of cancer, uh, mostly centered in the liver. And his wife, Annette, has been an angel. I've watched her deal with him for the last several years and it is i have a great admiration appreciation and and just affection for anyone who is in a position this is the better or worse this is the worst part of better or worse because um you know i officiate weddings as my sideline because i got to get out of the house um and i was uh, marrying a couple just last weekend and mentioned not my situation just mentioned them that this is the better part Getting married part today is the better part. What you don't project is 20, 30, 40 years down the road where one of you has to become the full-time angel to the other. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's just that it's coming. You have to understand that uh, one of you will be treating or healing or dealing with the other one at some point. Um, you hope that you're both healthy until you leave each other and go to heaven, but that's not a guarantee. And so what I'm going through now, in fact, I've been telling people that I feel somewhat cheated because I'm 12 years older than my wife and I, I had a child bride because I thought she would take care of me as I got older. It's flipped. The script somehow, now I'm doing the caring and I'm an old man, Scott. This shouldn't be happening to me. But I am, I am as they say, as the young people say, I'm sucking it up and I'm doing the best job I can. And, and I, I hear her appreciation uh, both in her actions and her words on a regular basis. And that's, that's good. But, uh, um, I think that a lot of us spouses have to be aware of the fact that we need to sometimes step up and be the best partner we can be because it's not always sunshine and roses. Sometimes there are some rocks in the road. His is the wonderful voice of Jim McFarland. He joins me this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. We are available at whtc.com, also Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you access high-quality entertainment. Let's shift gears. What was it like growing up? What was summertimes like in Western Michigan for you? Wow. Well, you know, as you know, Scott, I was the only child of color in my hometown, Spring Lake, Michigan, where nature smiles for seven miles. 
uh, my parents were um, people who took care of other people, basically. And so we lived in a big house on the main street, but we lived in the basement. It was actually the house owned by the person that my mother was a housekeeper to and my father tended the garden and, and grounds for. So people thought, you know, I, I my, my my little kid friends would walk down the main street and so I lived there and they go, you live in that big house? And they thought I had to be like, you know, made of money. And I said, yes. And I would say, and say nothing else, but yes. But then I'd go down like three flights of stairs to my place, which you couldn't see, like, you know, our, our, I'll never forget, our windows were like grass level, ground level. And for the longest time as a little kid, I thought that people just had feet and no bodies because that's all I could see through my window. Um, <laughs> But um, summertime in West Michigan, as people who live there here know, is idyllic. It is sublime uh, when you're surrounded by water. And ironically, I never learned how to swim, uh, which is a danger when you're surrounded by water on three sides where you live. Um, but it was just, you know, hanging out with your buddies. Uh, I could get great satisfaction watching them swim. Uh, one time, my buddy Ed, Ed Tavazinski, I, I saw him just the other week, and we remembered this moment. I was doing that, uh, standing on the pier, watching my friends frolic in the water, have a good time. Ed forgot I didn't know how to swim and pushed me in the water so I could join my friends. And the next scream you hear is me falling into the water knowing I cannot swim. Um, praise God, my friends realized that and dragged me out of the water. Um, but I lost my glasses, and I had to come home soaking wet to tell my mother that I'd lost my expensive pair of glasses. That was not a good day, but what I remember. And ironically, 30, 40, 50 years later, Ed still remembers that moment too, and he still apologizes to me for it. I'm so sorry I pushed you in the water, I didn't know. Um, so memories uh, come flooding back, but anyone, as I said, who lives in that area in Grand Haven, Spring Lake, Holland, Saugatuck, anyway, along the coast, uh, the Oval in Grand Haven, all the beaches, and uh, it's it's unforgettable. I mean, my wife has said many times that when we retire, actually when she retires, I'm already retired, when she retires, we're moving back to West Michigan. And she's not from there, has no connection except for me. First time I went to Grand Haven, we were driving home, she said, I'm, I'm retiring here. Just so you know, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen, and when we retire, I'm going back here. I said, fine, my home now, let's go. So people know there's a magic in West Michigan. It's been too long. We've got lots more to talk about. We'll do it tomorrow morning on Hearing Voices. This morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson, we continue with our pal Jim McFarlane. You'll find him on Twitter at the word grouch, and you'll find him here just about every month. Jim, so much has changed since you and I have talked in the country. Uh, so true. How would you assess the state of affairs in our nation? Ooh, funny you should ask, Scott, because I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately, and, and, and just work with me here. Um, I think that in every generation, there is a point in time where you believe or someone believes that the end is near. This has got to be it. I'm sure they thought it during World War One. World War II, Vietnam, the people, you know, people, the old guy with the cardboard sign on the corner saying the end is near, that happens almost every generation. But I'm looking at what's going on in the world right now, in our country right now. And the word I keep hearing on the nightly newscasts and in, in social media and with talks with my friends is the word historic. They talk about historic flooding in the Southwest, in fact, or in Southeast rather. In fact, St. Louis just over the weekend, we've had historic uh, wildfires in the West, historic heat waves, even for summer, 103, 104, 105 degrees in the Midwest. We've got historic 
conflict. No, our country has not been this divided emotionally and and um, spiritually, really, since the Civil War. We've got all these factors, and, and they've happened sometimes individually, but right now they're happening all at the same time. And you can't help but wonder, and I do wonder, is this it? Is Could this really be the end time? And if it is, how do we want to spend eternity? Smoking or not smoking? It's, it's just... Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. Um, but you don't see, I, in my life, I'm only, you know, pushing 70. But in my time on Earth, I don't remember any period of time that has this much conflict and tension and, and climate change and what it's doing to our world. We have made our own grave here. And it's getting dug. And, and it's very, it's frightening to me to see how we treat each other. The mass shootings that happen on an almost daily basis. We've got all these young people who are disenfranchised and have mental issues. We've done nothing in our country to address mental health as a national problem, which it has come to be. It's just kind of, it's terrifying. It's gotta be honest with you. I really have, I live in a very quiet um, college town and I sometimes, in fact many times, have fear just going out to go to the grocery store. Because a lot of people you see in the newscast, I just went to the mall, I just went to have a restaurant visit, have a dinner with my lovely wife, and the next thing I know, 12 people get shot in a restaurant. I mean, this happens every, this is not an occasional occurrence, this happens every single day. And you've got to think, what is the future going to hold? If this is where we are now, at the present, what does the future hold? And we expect the government to do something. We expect the, the religious leaders to do something. No, we have to do something. It starts with us. We can't look to other people to solve this problem. When you let 18-year-olds buy 12 AK-47s, something bad is going to happen. That, that should be common sense, but it isn't. We've lost common sense. has become very uncommon in, in this country, in this world, and that's a very sad thing. We visit with Jim McFarlane this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. We're available at whtc.com, Apple, Google, Spotify. And if you'd like to email, the email address, long but easy, hearingvoicesradio at gmail.com. And if you are polite, I promise to respond. Jim, you mentioned that it is up to us. How does one draw the line between being an activist and working for change and just being angry and hating a country or a situation? Well, I think the latter, as you say, Scott, is, is most of the problem in our country today, that a lot of people feel so frustrated, they feel so angry, and they're letting the anger channel and build and, and ferment. And I think what you need to do is go to the positive side. You don't need to, and this is what we do, basically, all this human nature, we look for people who share the same insight or the same point of view as we do. So that's how you get the oath keepers. That's how you get people running around crazy uh, attacking the capital because we want people who agree that this is going, this is terrible. What we need to find is people who are on the opposite side of that spectrum. It's hard because it's not our human nature. But we need, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about climate change, find a group that's also concerned about doing something positive about it. You know, it's, it finds something that is the opposite of where you want to be. And we're not, as a rule, prone to do that because, as I said, it's not our nature. But there are organizations, groups, people out there who want to make this world a better place. Um, maybe you're not into protesting. Maybe that's your style, but you can, you can join in. You can write letters. You can support financially. There are other things you can do to show. And, and things won't change overnight. We didn't get here 
since last Saturday. This is a, a process that's been a long time in coming. It may take a long time to change it, but if we do nothing, I can guarantee you nothing's going to change. And so we've got to look at it in terms of we see a problem. Pick a problem because we got a whole bunch of them, the whole spectrum of problems. Pick one you like and do what you can in a positive way to try to affect change. Not to say, let's burn down the system. Let's see how we can make the system better, whatever it is that you find that needs to be improved. You can tell he's really smart. He's also really funny. And if you'd like to access that, check him out on Twitter at the word grouch. Check me out on Twitter at the Scott J. Watson. We'll have more with Jim McFarland Monday on Hearing Voices. Well, we kicked the week off. With the same guy we ended it with, Jim McFarland joins me this morning on Hearing Voices. We're going to get lighter today, Mr. McFarland. We're going to talk oh, roses and lollipops. Actually, we're going to talk music. For a long time, you were a rock and roll critic in Detroit. And here's what I have noticed. I saw Bob Seger at the end. I saw Stevie Wonder at what many believe to be the end. And they were still magnificent. They were not tracked. They had good bands and they sang. Recently... I heard that Brian Wilson had to be helped out with a walker and was not able to sing on key. I saw Ronnie Millsap come out on a wheelchair and was not able to play and sing. You clearly saw some acts that were old and really good and some that were old and really shouldn't have been on stage. What are some of your reactions when I say that? Uh, well, A, true. Um, I spent a good portion of my adult life in one of the greatest jobs in America, being a rock and roll critic in Detroit, Michigan, uh, the home of Motown and Seeger and Nugent and the Romantics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I was there in the 80s and 90s, which was a great time, a, a fantastic decade plus for music coming from that city. So it was, it was a pleasure and an honor. But the great thing about working in a major market in the media is that every act on tour will come to your city. They may not go to Poughkeepsie, but they'll definitely come to Detroit. So you would see everybody on tour. And it's true. Um, there are some, I mean, the Rolling Stones, great example. I mean, they all should be in nursing homes, but they can still rock and roll. Mick Jagger is still an outstanding frontman to this day, which is astonishing to me. But there are just so many people, you know, people in my age group who still would pay money to see stars from our age group. The trouble is they don't all age well. And um, I've seen some that uh, make me go, oh, you almost have pity. You know, it's not so much you want a refund. You want to, like, donate your ticket price to his favorite charity or to get him just some help, get him in a nursing situation. And that's sad. Um, because some folks, I mean, let's be honest, in every profession, some people don't know when it's time to say goodbye. Uh, and if you can still tour, look at Elton John. Elton is getting ready to retire. He's doing his farewell tour right now. He could go another four or five years. I mean, he can still, still rock it. But he knows that it, there comes a time when you have to say, you have to hang up the guitar strap or the keyboard and say, you know, I've, I've done my job. I've performed well. I've recorded well. I've made a whole lot of money. And, you know, and those records, that music will live in perpetuity and will make me still make me money sitting around uh, and by uh, poolside. So let's let it go. But it's hard when you're a creative person, Scott, because you always think you want to create. And uh, musicians can still write music, can still maybe record music. But it's hard. If you watch a performer, especially some of these young performers, right? well, J-Lo is not young, but she can still swing it too. But it's a, to be on stage for 90 minutes to two hours and exert that kind of energy, pressure, um, music, 
not sing off key while you're dancing your night away, um, that's really hard. That's that's a young person's game. And to see people in their 60s and early 70s still try to fascinate and rock and roll a crowd, uh, sometimes it's painful. And uh, but I think that's the don't demand your money back. That's the price you pay. That's the risk you take. If you pay $100 to see your favorite artist and he's 85, he may not be the same artist you remember when you were 22. I mean, just just be honest. So uh, you take your money, you pay your money, you take your chances. He is the great Jim McFarlane. He joins me this morning on Hearing Voices with Scott Watson. Jim, I recently saw a show in Vegas and you mentioned pay your money and take your chances. This show was completely tracked. There was not a single word actually sung. There was not a single note actually played. The entire thing was tracked. Should I be angry about that? Should I demand my money back there? It was Shania Twain, by the way. You should be angry. You definitely should be angry because it takes the live adjective out of live performance. If you're just there <laughs> and you're mouthing it and you ain't singing it, you have been cheated. There's no question about it. I would recommend because someone knows that if unless it's the first date on a tour someone has seen that artist and already knows i would i would recommend to people if you're going to see your favorite recording artist from the 70s go and do some research online and make sure that they're still actually singing the songs because someone's going to complain before you i went to that show and every song was tracked i and if you know that Perhaps you should save that money. Uh, you go to see a person perform live for that reason. Not so they're like an art piece that you can look at. You actually expect to hear them as well. And when you don't, yeah, I think you should be upset. What are you reading this summer, Jim? I am reading a book that was recommended to me by uh, a good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends uh, out in Portland. She uh, contributed to this book in just an editing standpoint. The book is called An Outrageous Commitment, The 48 Vows of an Indestructible Marriage by Dr. Ron Elmore, who also uh, wrote the book How to Love a Black Man and How to Love a Black Woman. Um, I'm using it uh, in terms, I'm I'm rewriting my wedding scripts. I I tend to vary my scripts as much as as I possibly can. Um, And this just has a really interesting outlook. Uh, Ron takes Adam and Eve as his basis and the conversations that they might have had. They're not in the Bible. It's not biblically based, but it's like, you know, as you, as the first couple to try and build a life together, here are the questions they might have asked and how they relate to what is going on in your relationship as you either begin your marriage together or if you're in your marriage. I think this is a book that I would recommend to couples at any stage of marriage because it will ask you to reevaluate and think and really kind of understand how the two of you relate as a couple. Again, it's called an outrageous commitment the 48 vows of an indestructible marriage and i would recommend that you find it obviously online uh it's it's fascinating reading it really is and i've used many of the vows of the 48 vows this here in my um wedding uh addresses this summer to young couples getting wed Jim McFarland is available on Twitter at the word grouch. And of course, no visit with him would be complete unless I ask Jim for a word. Jim, it's been a long summer. You've had lots of time to prepare and to think. What's the word for the summer? Uh, the word for the summer, well, the last word I used online that I really like is pusillanimous. And this is not something that you or I are or, or anyone should want to be. Uh, it's pusillanimous, and it means it's it's um, it really came to I think uh, a lot of 
notoriety way back in the 70s when Spiro T. Agnew, uh, the former vice president, Nixon's vice president, considered by some to be the worst vice president in U.S. history, used to use um, wild alliteration to um, criticize or insult the enemies of President Nixon. And one of his favorite uh, expressions was to call the media and anyone who hated Nixon a bunch of pusillanimous pussycats. And pusillanimous means lacking courage or resolve, cowardly, timid. And uh, I know you are none of those things. I pray that I know those things. None of the people listening to those things. But whatever you do this summer, do not be pusillanimous. You stand up for what you know is right and help to try and change the situation in our country that we see today. The week is better. The day is better for a visit with Jim McFarland. Dear friend, thanks for the visit this morning on Hearing Voices. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you.